Alright guys, welcome back to episode 3 of Finding Nicholas. I'm your host, Nicholas Landers, and today we have a very special guest, Mr. Quentin Dunn. Um, this guy is a very good friend of mine, and let me tell you, he wears many hats. He is a guy of many talents and many passions. Um, just from what I know of him, he is a theologian, a philosopher, a, a real estate mogul, an entrepreneur, a passionate speaker, a pharmaceutical sales rep. I mean, what does he not do? Literally, I, I can't think of something he doesn't do. Uh, former uh, Division One basketball player. I mean, you guys are in for a special treat today. Um, and as always, you know, we kind of want to get in. Also, we'll say hello to everybody. Hey guys, how's it going? Glad to be here. Nick, thanks for having me here. Just, just definitely glad to, to be here and, and be a voice for the people. So, Thanks for having me, Nicholas. Absolutely. I mean, I'm excited. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> um, so we're going to kick it off. We're going to go ahead and start with a story. And I, I think a story for me is when um, I was uh, running track in high school. And uh, when I first started, I wasn't very good. Uh, I, I started in 10th grade. And um, I, I happened to be playing basketball and the track coach happened to see me chase down a loose ball. <laughs> and um, I, I guess I was pretty quick to it. And then he found me in the lunchroom, actually, like I think the, like, the next day or next day or two. And he said, oh, man, Nick, you need you need to be out here running track. And the only thing I knew of track was that you're going to run and you're going to get tired and you're going to run around this loop. And it's boring. And no. And at the time, who wants to be, you know, tired? Like there's there's no really points you're scoring like right. in an active way. Sure. And so I told him no. And then he harassed me. <laughs> <laughs> he uh this is, this is Coach Kemp and uh Tim Kemp and a great guy, you know, a phenomenal uh teacher, coach, uh a pastor, and and so he he hounded me for for days. And then till I finally I just conceded, I was like, all right, you know, fine. And um, when basketball season ended, I was to be out there and I missed the first day and he found me in the lunchroom and said, you missed the first day. And I had, I really had no intention of, uh, of even really going. And so after school that day, I was prepared to go home and my mom worked at the school and I went, uh, to the front office, you know, cause I was going to ride home with her, me and my sister and the coach, coach Kemp had actually spoken with her and told her that I skipped practice the day before and so she comes up to me and she's like hey Nicholas is there something you want to tell me and I was like and I started thinking of all the wrong things I might have done mm -hmm. and I was like N no I don't I, I don't think so um I think I'm I think I think we're good she said well guess I talked to somebody today and I was like um you know how your parents set you up right and so I was like well who, who'd you talk to she says well I, I spoke to coach Kemp and like dread, like fill my soul. Like I, I just, I was so angry. And she was like, "So you need to go out, and you need to 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 fulfill what you said." She said because in the Landers household, if you put your name to something, if you if you tell somebody you're gonna do something, you do it. That's right. And I just, I was so upset. Like you wouldn't even believe how upset I was. And so I tell my mom, I'm like, I don't even have track shoes. I, I don't even have spikes or running shoes. All I had like, were my basketball shoes. And she said, that's good enough. So I go out to the track and 
Um, and he's, he's out there and, and, and we do the warm up and he asked me to run 400 meters. And I asked him, how far is that? He's like, one lap around the track. And then I asked him, well, how do I run that? And he's like, well, uh, you just, just do your best you can, you know? And like any idiot, you know, who's asked to do that, you just take off and you run like full out. Wow. And so I ran like you wouldn't believe. And then the monkey jumped on my back as I would know later, like lactic acid and everything else filled my legs and I was just dragging and I crossed the line in 59 seconds. And I'm like, and I'm, I can barely breathe. I'm like, was that good? And he's like, that, that was actually kind of good for your first time. <laughs> and then he's like standing like maybe like two feet away from me. And I was going to be like, oh, thank you. And I puked. <laughs> wow. I puked all over his shoes, like projectile vomit. <laughs> and he just kind of stared at me. And I was like, I wanted to apologize, but I, like, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do any of that. And I was ready to quit, honestly. Wow. Like that was like one of the worst feelings I ever had. And I went home with no intention to come back. Mm. Um, that, that pain was very real for me. And so my mom says, you know, reinforces when I get home, like, you know, that because I tell her I'm not going to come back. She's like, no, you're going back. Right. It's, you don't argue that. That's it's, right. You're going back. And so I come back to practice and I talk to Coach Kemp and he tells me, you know, what what race he thinks I should run and so on. And I, I look at him dead in the face and I'm like, if I ever get last in any race, mm. I'm quitting, just so you know. <laughs> and I think he took that as like a personal challenge to like break me. Mm. And so he put me in the very first race of the year and I didn't consider myself a, a distance runner. Sure. He puts me in the mile. And I'm thinking, what in God's name am I doing out in this race? And I, when I tell you I ran, like my life depended on it. I finished next to last. Like there was like one kid behind me and I was like, I cannot let you beat me, like no matter what. Like, and so mm -hmm. he kind of broke me a little bit and then he put me in the 800, which was two laps. And the very same thing happened. And I think I was maybe two people from last. And I think it was really like testing my heart, mm -hmm. right? And, and the whole point of that was obviously, and I ended up, you know, running collegiate track, um, you know, being a state medalist uh, in the 400 meters and, 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 you know, you know, decorated pretty well. Nice. And I think what I want to explain to people sometimes is you have to be careful what you say no to. Mm. Um, I I didn't know that there was a, uh, a, a region medalist and, you know, state medalist in, in me. You know, I didn't know that. Right. Um, I just I could only see the pain. And the question I, I think I have for listeners is just, you know, what are you saying no to? Um, I think you just, it requires like a paradigm shift, you know, to say no, I think fixes more on our habits and our routines. I think sometimes we're kind of just wired to say no. We hear it a lot. And it's actually the most powerful word word in the world, if you, if you didn't know that. Wow. And um, it only takes seeing it for like a brief second <laughs> for it to alter your chemistry. Yeah. Like your entire body and your mind. And I think a lot of kids are wired to hear no, no, you can't have this, or no, you're not good enough, or do you want to go out with me? No. And 
you know, so me saying yes to that shifted that. And once I learned that I had something in me that I couldn't see and that no was kind of a barrier, I started saying yes to more things. And I know that sounds like cliche because there was that Jim Carrey movie, <laughs> uh, like Yes Man. Yeah. But sure there's, there's, a lot of, right? there's a lot of good stuff in that, I think, that are some really good takeaways. Um, so that's just kind of my story. Um, I can also tell you another one about that. But we're, <laughs> we're going to save that for another episode. Sure. And we're going to kind of switch into um, Mr. Quentin Dunn uh, because I, I know he's got some great stuff for us. I'm excited to hear it. And I'm going to let him take it away. You okay with that? Sure. I, absolutely. No, I, I appreciate that story. I certainly can relate to, uh, you know, I, I guess for me, the trauma of hearing no. You know, my mother, uh, because we grew up poor, would always come to me and she would say, whenever I would ask for a pair of shoes, like the new Jordans, right? Um, or, you know, whatever shoes or clothes were hot at the time, I can remember my mom always saying no, not because she wanted to, um, but because, you know, that, that was the reality that we lived in. And uh, that definitely caused trauma, but it also motivated something in me. Um, had I not heard, you know, no at the time so many times, I don't think I would be the man um, that I am today. And so when you talked about no, I mean, that just sparked so many thoughts. But I say that to say, you know, I made it a point to never putting my position self in a position to hear no. Um, always want, wanting to position myself, whether that be, you know, financially, whether that be uh, spiritually, um, you know, whatever position that is, I never wanted to be um, the man that heard no. And I think a lot of us, you know, live lives where, you know, we chase things um, in an attempt to deflect no. Um, and we have to be careful and cautious with that because no is actually good for us, right? It, it uh, creates in us, uh, for one, humility, right? That's very imp important. Um, I didn't know that at the time when my mom was saying no. I just thought she was saying no. She didn't want me, me to have the Jordans. But um, no, that definitely uh, allowed me to appreciate the, the little things, right? Even though I didn't have necessarily all the Jordans at that time, right? I definitely uh, had shoes. Um, my, my mother and my father both worked for my other five siblings. So um, a, as I'm now in a position where I have, obviously, you know, an ability to buy, you know, Jordans, <laughs> um, I, I certainly uh, I can relate to you when it when it comes to just the, the power of the, the word no and how that uh, can affect us both negatively and positively, but more so positively. Um, but thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm excited about this. You and I have been friends for a while, man. We've been talking about this. This has been, uh, you know, a vision of yours for a while. So I'm, I'm glad to, to see this come to fruition. And uh, thanks for having me as a guest. No, I mean, absolutely. I, I love where you took that, like the other side of no. You know, not just... Um, you know, saying no to things, but the, the other side of hearing no. Yes. And then, you know, like almost like a transference of power. Sure. You know, because the word no was, was, is negative, mm. right? And, 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 it, and it, it does alter 
your, your chemistry. Yeah. But repurposing that mm. and saying like, hey, I know what you've come to do. Wow. You know, but here's how I'm going to use you instead of you using me. Wow. Right. And so it's really great to hear you say that. And especially the part about um, making yourself like, you know, molding yourself, building yourself into someone who does not hear positions where you don't hear no or sure. no as much. Yeah. And were there maybe like, how did you get started? Like to kind of create that momentum or that person to be able to do that? Like, where does that come from? Like, was there anything in there in, in, in your metamorphosis? Sure. So, you know, just to give, uh, you know, a quick cap as, as accelerated as possible. Um, I was actually originally born in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I, I, my family and I lived there um, for seven years of my life. So I stayed there for the first seven years again of my life. And uh, my grandfather took sick. And so my dad um, was uh, put in the position where he had to choose um, or he felt like he needed to choose to be closer to his father, which they lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or to uh, you know remain in Richmond, Virginia. At that time, because my, my grandfather took sick of cancer, my dad was uh, traveling back and forth between Virginia and Louisiana, and obviously he has a family in Virginia. Um, his wife is there, his children are there. Um, I mean, I can just think, you know, imagine now that I'm 30 years old, you know, what he was going through and the thoughts that were um, going on in his head. But um, ultimately he made the decision to move us to Louisiana. And uh, if anyone knows anything about Baton Rouge, Louisiana or Richmond, Virginia, they would know that uh, just from a resourceful standpoint, um, you know, Louisiana, I love it, but it's diametrically opposed to what I experienced in Virginia. I mean, we lived in a nice house, you know, my multiple cars in the driveway, probably the best schools. And we had to transition to something that just wasn't the same. It's just re the reality of it. And so, um, I say that to say, you know, I moved into um, a, a, a state and a city and a situation that was a contradiction of what I was accustomed to. But I had to adjust very fast. And so uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, if you look at the statistics even now, top five in every negative category, right? Crime rate um, from an educational standpoint, um, economically. It's just not the the most suitable place um, to raise a, a child or a family, just based on statistics. But I would say, you know, statistics can sometimes be deceptive, okay, because they don't give the the, the full picture on the experience. And I would say, just based on what I was exposed to at a young age, you know, from losing friends to guns you know, gun violence to, uh, you know, having girlfriends that I lost to, you know, not lost, but at the time, but just to prostitution and just women I knew, uh, those things molded me into the person I am today. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, when you experience that, you know, it may look appealing on TV. You know, we see these things on social media now and, you know, you see the fancy cars and all this stuff. 
and we think that's the life we want to live. But when you go through the, the trauma that I experienced in Louisiana, it's quite the opposite. So, um, yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, I would uh, credit my upbringing in Louisiana um, or attribute that to my success now. If I had not went through that, what did Jay-Z say? You know, he's talking about New York, obviously, but he said, and since I made it here, I can make it everywhere. Well, I definitely feel that way. And what he was talking about was obviously his his upbringing, the rough times. Um, I can definitely relate to that coming from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay, that's, and again, it's just so powerful to be able to use those negative forces for something good. <laughs> um, you know, I just listened to uh, Jay Shetty's podcast, with uh he featured 50 cent um in like last week's episode and 50 cent you know uh, was it you see queens yeah like that sure and a lot of people viewed his upbringing as being a disadvantage mm. you know or a setback and he when the way he explained it was he didn't feel like it was he thought to himself you know it, these are my circumstances wow but this has nothing really to do with me, mm. you know? And so he's like, this is my reality. These are decisions I have to make based with what I have. I have the cards I've been dealt, you know? And it's not necessarily, he said, cause he was explaining that some people, you know, are born with, you know, like a silver spoon in their mouths and because they haven't necessarily had experience certain hardships sure. in, in, in the survival might way we might think of that in terms of just not living hand to mouth and you know having the best schools available to you and those other resources and that when they don't have those that adversity it they needed that that's sure. what, what they find out so you know when the stock market crashes and mm -hmm. people jump from buildings that's right they never knew what life was like before the money that's right and so when when you're explaining your upbringing and, and and the trauma, right? When you're climbing and clawing and scraping your way to the top, yes, right. And I know you still have higher to go. Were there any like concrete steps that you took to where did you, did you find a mentor? Did you read books? Uh, like you know, you obviously played sports. You know what what nuggets can you share with us and, and our young listeners? as well that's just gonna maybe kind of say they come from the uh the same background sure even, even Baton rouge <laughs> yeah you know or richmond and just you know what can you what can you tell us well i would definitely and i i've done this you know i'm an account executive for uh one of well the largest privately owned uh infusion which is a pharmacy uh, infusion companies in the world i uh i work for them i'm actually the only uh, black account executive for the company, um, and, you that's know, amazing. and so uh, that's that's pretty uh, unique in itself. And uh, I certainly, you know, didn't see myself in this position 10 years ago. Um, I would only accredit that to the parents that I have, uh, which is where I want to go with this. You know, definitely. I, I, I know it, you know, it, it's it seems uh chaotic right now what i'm about to say or it seems crazy but you definitely want to follow the path of your parents if if it feels like they're leading you in the right direction and uh, i know sometimes it seems like they can't relate to us 
you know, sometimes when our parents try to correct us or give us advice, we kind of look at them as, uh, you, you know, when they show us and used to show us in the classroom, uh, like those old films, like in gray, black and white. The yeah. black and white films yeah. and how we used to look at that like man what that's so like far-fetched right yeah. that's kind of how we see our parents right we see them as like people that didn't quite experience what we're experiencing sure when that couldn't be anything further from the truth the truth is they actually have went through a lot of the same things we've went through i, I think there's a bible verse for that and we always do this come on of, uh, come on but it's like there's nothing new under the sun. That's it. That's the, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Um, and so I would say to, you know, young listeners, even the older ones, okay. you know, if you have some type of parental guidance, follow that. Um, I didn't say a, uh, like mold your life around it. Right. You You certainly have to make your own decisions, but use parental guidance as a gauge to decide uh right or wrong to 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 really navigate through life you need accountability and just based on science you know genetically speaking uh your parents are the best accountability partners and so i would say my mother and father even though they didn't have much even though i had five other siblings that they had to feed even though um, there were so many dynamics around us, I never felt poor. You know, it's been said that uh, a poor man doesn't know he's poor until he's told by a rich man. I can certainly That's good. relate to that. You know, um, it wasn't until I came to Atlanta, Georgia, where I saw black doctors and black lawyers and businessmen where I realized, man, what, what, what have we been doing, right? Um, and, and I guess that's called exposure. It wasn't until I was exposed to, uh, another side, um, and, and, and which I realized, you know, wow, we've been missing out. But I say that to say they've never, my parents have never allowed me to feel poor. And so that governs my life even now, whether I have a lot of money or whether I have none at all, you know, I still know that I have family. I still know I came from a family, and if I'm here, there's still an ability to get. You know, if you have breath in your body, you have the ability. If you still, if you're still alive, you have the ability to have whatever you want. And so that's probably one of the top. The second part for me, and you know this, Nick, you know where I'm going with this, is really understanding who God is. Now, you can call him anything you want to, right? You can call him Allah. You can call him the Messiah. You can call him Lord. Yeshua. But the Yeshua, right? You know what I mean? Like, uh, I am, right? There's, there's so many dynamics to this, but you have to believe in that source. And for me, I believe in God. And therefore, going back to that accountability, I have to believe when I transition from this body, because, you know, factually speaking, Historically speaking, it's been proven that this something happens where the body turns in, back to dirt. And so I have to believe when that moment takes place that I'm going to see what I believe is God and that what I do on this side is going to matter. So I live my life knowing that that moment is coming. 
not in the sense of fear, but in the sense of hope, in the sense of motivation that I want to please him. And so, you know, for me, it's about doing unto or for others as I would want things to be done for me and my family. You know, um, that's really how I live my life, man. I don't live it just to have a lot of things, but I live it to really, you know, show people that I love them and, you know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, yeah, just just try to spread a lot of that, uh, just that care that I had from my family and, and, and from God, ultimately. No, I, I think um, there are a lot of buzzwords, a lot of good stuff there, right? Um, love, and, and it's just so uplifting, you know, to hear someone who can champion, you know, resiliency. You know, someone has that ability to bounce back and use what's negative, use adverse conditions to create um, prosperity or prosperous conditions and the spirit of service. Yes. Um, I, I think the last thing I want to mention here is, you know, I spent years in the school system, mm. right? And one of the things you said about having your parents um, as role models, and this was, we talked about this actually in, in a previous episode about having things modeled for you, you know, having that image of, hey, because, you know, theory is one thing. And then there's another thing to, to have it modeled in front of you to where you can see and you can ask questions, you can poke and prod. Say there's a young adult, right? You're someone in their early 20s or a teenager, right? And they want to model their parents, but their parents don't believe either don't believe in their dream or they love and maybe they do believe in their, in their vision, but they're scared for them. Yes. You know, because that career doesn't lead to uh, a lot of money or <laughs> a lot of security. And so I think a lot of kids can identify with this idea of, well, my parents don't care about what I'm trying to do. And when I tell them what I want to do, they just tell me that focus on my grades and go to, go to college. And, and so where where would you steer someone like that? Because I've certainly felt like I've been in that boat. Sure. You know, I told my parents I wanted a track scholarship. Mm -hmm. And then their response was, um, yeah, go get these grades. <laughs> you know, and then I got it. Right. And I was like, I showed you, <laughs> you know, but I don't think everyone has that wherewithal to just look somebody in the face and say, I don't care how you feel. Like, I'm doing it anyway. You know, so, some are a little more meek, little insecure, and they're turning to their parents, these people they know and love and who's raised them for someone to back them. And they don't always meet that. You know? wow. And just because someone's a parent does, uh, doesn't mean that they're, that they're a father or a mother. Um, and so whether it's their parent or their guardian and they just told them, hey, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, this is who I'm going to be and what I want to do. And then they hit a brick wall. Mm. You know, where did they go? What do, what do, what would you tell them? Sure. You know, what I found in, in this life is, you know, it's all about purpose. And uh, if you're not living your life based on a purpose, then you are really not living at all. You're just existing. Right. Um, and in order to find your purpose, you must first find your passion. You know, what is that that you are excited about? 
What is that that wakes you up without an alarm clock? What is that that you cannot avoid that is on your mind daily? You know, something that is uh, in, uh, unshakable. Um, that is most of the times your gift, right? That's something that just you can't explain where it came from. You can't explain why you can't get rid of it. You try your best. Um, and, and most of the times that's connected to your purpose. So to connect the dots on what you're saying, most of the times when you know your purpose, um, well, first of all, when you know your gift and it's connected to your purpose, it is then time to write the vision and make it plain. And, you know, what I find is people that are lost really have no vision for their lives. Therefore, they're allowing people, whether that be a, a guardian, whether that be a, a close friend, um, they're allowing people who should not be speaking in their lives, speak in their lives and set them on a course that is not that of purpose. And I actually can uh, relate to that a lot. I mean, I was certainly, I've certainly been in relationships that, uh, you know, I definitely don't regret anything, but I feel I was persuaded more so by people that were close to me, um, including my parents, right? That more so persuaded me to make decisions. And uh, because of the fear that I had of disappointing them, I made those decisions and years later came to a point where I realized this wasn't the decision that I wanted to make. This was the decision that I wanted to make to please them. And so to answer your question, when you run into that brick wall, such as, you know, me, you got to get back to what's your vision for your own life. What makes me happy? What is that that is gratifying and satisfying to me? And so it's really impossible for you to know un unless you meditate on that and you write the vision and make it plain. You know, one thing we don't do uh, uh, often, uh, we don't write down our thoughts. Yeah. You, you know, you taught me this, you know, you, you, you got me a journal. Um, because that's, that's one thing you're really good at. You're really good at, uh, channeling, channeling and, and writing down that which comes to your mind. So going back to that topic about God, right? God is always speaking, you know, whether we know it or not, yeah. you know, the thoughts in your mind did not appear or come to you out of thin air. No, those were given to you by some source. And so if you're not organizing those thoughts on paper, that's what that's what writing is. Writing is the ability to organize thoughts. If you're not writing down that which you are thinking and organizing them, you are really literally lost. And so I, I feel that it is important for us at, you know, a young age, you know, 13, maybe even younger right. to write down where we want to go. What age we want to be married, you know, and obviously it doesn't work like that. Right. You know, life just I mean, it's those curveballs and, and you just don't do that. That it does. But it's good to at least have a roadmap. Yeah. If you take a U-turn or you take a, a, a turn that, you know, was unplanned, so be it. But at least you have a map to kind of go down. And so what I find is people are living their lives without maps. Therefore, anyone can direct them.
that and I think that's such a tremendous idea, right? And and the science, like you said, backs that. You know, the things that you write down, you remember longer, sticks in your brain longer. And I think the things that you continue to hold in your mind allows you to be stronger, that, that mental fortitude, right? Where your brain is centered around this, your thoughts are centered around this, and then pretty soon your words are centered around it, and then your actions, and then it spirals into, okay, I've done something, I've created some momentum because I've done it consistently. Yes. And I do think that sometimes kids, you know, they approach these adults, and, and these adults too can be lost, right? Living their lives without a vision or just outside of their purpose, you know, fixed on comfort, and I get it. I, I certainly get the allure of comfort, particularly material comfort. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, people are like, you hear like Gary V, something like that, you know, quit your job. And people are like, oh, heck yeah. And then the reality sets in, they're like, oh, no, 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 I got bills. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so wait a second. Um, and so I, I think that flesh can get very attached to, to feeling good. And I think they don't want their kids to suffer, particularly parents. And I know like a lot of old black parents who've suffered and tried to give their kids a better life. They know what it's like on both sides, maybe. Yeah. And so it's out of love when they tell them no or try to give them a, a path that's safer or even rewrite this vision that, that, that a young adult has written for themselves. Yeah. And I, and I, one of the things I want to say to, to listeners, especially young listeners, is that when that happened to me, I internalized that as they don't love me and they are against me, you know, and I, and I took that as they're my sworn enemies. You know, like I said, I wanted to run 49 seconds, like in my junior year in the 400 meters and they just kind of blew it off. Wow. I said, Hey, I wanted to go to college and run track and I had good grades and they're like, maybe you can get academic scholarship. Maybe you just need to go to school, but you need to kind of let that go. And I took it as, oh, you don't believe in me. Wow. When really what they were emitting was protection. Yeah. Right. Love and protection. And so one of the things I want to tell you is don't take that personally. You know, just try to see the good in everyone. Right. Try to see what your parents have done for you as a whole. And not through a lens of a moment where they may have said something or other, and now you've kind of painted your whole childhood as bleak mm. um, when it wasn't. And that can happen too. Um, but yeah, I think I think we've given you guys enough to to marinate on. Uh, there's just there's so much good stuff. I hope you guys go back and listen to this again, and also read the transcripts. You know, I prepare these transcripts. And you can download these and read them and share them and clip whatever you'd like, right? Because today was powerful. And again, I want to thank Mr. Quentin Dunn for being here. <laughs> and, you know, as, as you've listened, you can tell he, he is a man of faith and a passion and knowledge and wisdom. And so is there anything left you kind of want to share us with about like maybe what's next for you or anything like that? Well, certainly, you know, I, I am... Uh in the process of, of pursuing a lot of things business-wise, you know, um, I, I, I definitely have uh, my eyes on a lot of real estate acquisitions. Um, certainly, uh, 
looking at, you know, starting a gym, um, continuing to, you know, uh, grow in, in, in my craft as, as a, a inspirational speaker. Um, people can certainly follow me on Instagram, QD underscore 300. Um, and, uh, yes, I mean, just, just continuing to, 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 again, spread that, that love, spread that, uh, um, just that feeling of purpose, right. Um, to hopefully, uh, you know, help other people find their purpose. That's, that's really my life's calling. I mean, I guess the last thing I would say, um, for, for, for people, what really comes to mind is you can literally have anything, right? We're going back to that, the, the conversation we had at the beginning about no, what I found is at an older age, right? You can literally have anything you want. Literally. I mean, anything. Even scripture says, Jesus told the disciples, anything you ask for in my son's name, meaning Jesus, right? If you say it and don't believe in your heart that it won't be done for you, but have faith that it will be done, it shall be done. And and so I say that to, to listeners to say, from a spiritual standpoint, and just from experience, if you have the faith with the work, if you are willing to go after, to put in what you put out, right, you can have it. You can attain it. And uh, I hope, you know, that, that doesn't just come off as just words, mere words. I hope you really understand that everything I am today is uh, attributed to me believing that I can have it and going after it, period. You know, actions certainly speak louder than words. And so, yeah, um, thank you for having me, Nick. Um, I, I definitely enjoy our energy every time we speak. And, uh, man, I'm excited about this podcast, excited what it's, you know, what it's going to do for the people. And, yep, great things to come. And there you have it, folks. Mr. Quentin Dunn and Nicholas Landers of Finding Nicholas. Check us out for more great stuff. We love you guys.